welcome everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content, you could find Kyle and myself connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram with the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who, for the first time, agrees with the Aggies that Nick Saban should be suspended at least two games. Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? It is always odd to find common ground with the Aggies, but I do think that his actions actions this offseason have just been utterly abhorrent and a two-game suspension feels about right, right? I think Johnny Manziel got, like, what, a, a quarter and a half suspension for his infractions. I think, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, two games, I think by the third game, Saban will have learned his lesson. We'll all uh, we'll all have, have moved on. But now we, we will talk Alabama football in our Thursday show this week, so make sure you tune in for that. And we will never talk about agreeing with the Aggies ever again, so hopefully you cherished and isolated that specific audio. But Gerald... We do have some good things to talk about. We do have some good things to talk about, Kyle. No, we're here to talk about the College World Series. Texas, after a shaky start in the Supers, we'll just go ahead and say it. That Friday game, uh, you could have set that uh, that last inning to uh, Yakety Sacks, and it would have been accurate. But Texas uh, wins in the Super Regionals two games to one to advance to their 38th. More than half of the College World Series in existence, uh, the University of Texas, has been their 38th College World Series to take on the Notre Dame fight in Irish. We've also got uh, our last down the 40, uh, at least that will contain other sports uh, for the year because, well, track and field is over. So we'll talk some track and field. We'll talk a little bit of recruiting and we'll obviously close the show out with some bang the drum. Kyle, I've got to be really honest with you. After the game on Friday, I was not feeling too great. I watched how Texas imploded in front of the jungle in Greenville. I watched just an absolute team come apart at the seams. Uh, from really almost felt like from Jump Street, especially Pete Hansen, who had a really tough uh, end to his outing. But a thirteen to seven loss felt like uh, felt tough. So they showed some fight on Saturday, though battling back not once but twice. To win that one nine eight, thanks to a walk off uh, after erasing a six run deficit, and then Sunday um, jumped all over ECU. But it felt like the rain delay may have helped them, but it didn't actually turn out to be anything. A one run flurry turned into an eleven to one beat down. Texas advances to the College World Series again for the thirty eighth time in the seventy five year history of that event. Big weekend for Texas, Kyle. There's a lot to reflect on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the Friday game might be an outlier, right? This is East Carolina team that has been hot, right? Like they, I think, you know, had one of the hottest pitchers or excuse me, hitters in the country. Um, they, one of the better defensive teams in the country after Texas, they, they're like probably the third best team uh, in the country on that end and, and made some plays. They have a weird stadium that they're familiar with where things bounce off the ground and shoot 35 feet up in the air. Sometimes it beats them as well. Um, you know, they have they have little league fences where, you know, the the fence comes up to the waist of outfielders and fans drape themselves over it. So there was just a whole bunch of little quirks and things happened Friday. And, and again, until that last splurge uh, in the eighth inning 
where they put it away, it still could have gone either way, and you had basically the worst outing of the season from Pete Hansen combined. Again, with a good hitting team, don't, don't take anything away. And, and I'll start there, I guess. The Eastern Carolina Pirates baseball team was a dang good team, right? They were incredibly good. After they won Friday, they were on a 22 out of 23 streak, basically, the loss in the regionals to Coastal Carolina, uh, their only loss in two months. Um, so, you know, they, they, there were people calling them the best team to never make Omaha. This looks like their year. They were hosting. They got one up on Texas. Everything, when they got up 7-2, when they were, that's all they needed to get to their first trip to Omaha. Everything pointed to this was going to be their year. And I thought Texas showed just an unbelievable amount of fight uh, to turn the tide, to turn things around. They had had some struggles. Again, the second day that their starting pitcher, um, who'd been lights out, Lucas Gordon, um, had the lowest ERA, you know, if, if anyone who'd thrown 50 innings or more, he, he was, he was, he didn't expect it to happen twice, right? Where both guys went eight combined innings with your two aces. We, I went on the, the ECU podcast and previewed and basically said, we have two good pitchers. Whatever happens when you get out of, outside of them, <laughs> you will, 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 will be as surprised as us. Um, so this was a different script and look, they still did it, and and they showed heart. They did it with the bats, as, as you would imagine, right? Um, seven runs in the first game is nothing to scoff at. Nine was enough to win it in the second game. Eleven was real nice with a ten-run gap there in the third game. Um, I, you know, like I said, to come into that game when they had everything going their way, right? They they had this long win streak. They were at home. The crowd was crazy. Uh, they were up big, and 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 Texas just really honestly did it. You you had the Hodo home run. But first, you had the Feltini double to start it. Hodo home run in the seventh. Messenger three-run home run in the eighth. Dylan Campbell, uh, his first contribution. Uh, oh, not first. His nail uh, announcement that Texas was 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 going to do this thing in the eighth with the solo. Uh, but then coming up with two outs and the bases loaded, and getting the uh, getting the the winner in the ninth. I thought it was just. It hasn't been Campbell all year, though he's gotten hot. Messenger's gotten hot. It was different guys. It was back-to-back Melendez and Staley uh, in this series. It was, you know, uh, Faltini finally got his 15th. There was uh, there was a lot of guys stepping up, and that's true with the pitchers and the uh, obviously the players in the field. Um, I just thought, you know, all in all, gutsy, a lot of fight. Honestly, I think that helps them. They, they had a soft regional, or an easy regional, uh, not soft, an easy time in the regional, right? They, they just won pretty easy, not a lot of drama. We said that. There was a lot of drama in this one, in this series, and I almost feel like that helps because um, we'll talk a little bit about what they have to look forward to, but it's a, a viper pit of F all y'all, um, basically, is what I would call this, <laughs> this region of the bracket, especially if Tennessee would have been in there. That would be the perfect foursome of, of that phrase. But uh, it, a lot of people who hate each other uh, waiting to, to dismantle each other. So a little one last adversity just to remind you how to go do it, to get to Omaha. And now it's anyone's game. So I like where Texas is at. You mentioned that they got it done with the bats. And I think we can't talk this regional without talking Tristan Stevens. Absolutely. And I think Tristan Stevens, um, like I'm like – if I get emotional, like don't like judge me, but like Tristan Stevens, a guy who came back another year to help get Texas back to Omaha had a, a year from hell. Like, let's just be honest. The guy hadn't started a game in six weeks because he just absolutely like it didn't have it for a little bit and went six innings, gave up 
five hits, one earned run, and hit a season-high 101 pitches. Dude was a freaking warrior. And, like, that's the type of outing that a guy like that deserves. He's a team guy. He's a – come to find out, he told Coach Pierce, like, I'm going to pitch today. I want to pitch today. And, like, to come out and just absolutely push like he did. And he, and he still had some control issues early, and but he battled. And that's the type you could tell the team fed off that you could tell the team took that tone and said, we're here to win and we're getting back to Omaha because that's where we freaking belong. Regardless of what happened in the three months prior, we're we are going out. We're going out with excellence. And I think that to me kind of sums up the last couple of weeks of what Texas baseball has been where people wrote them off. We, we you and I kind of wrote them off several weeks ago. We're like, I don't know. And then the conversation was like, can they can they close out the regular season uh, and get a shot at hosting a regional? Oh, can they win out of this regional? Tough regional, tough bats in that regional. They did it. Can they beat ECU on the road? Tough, you know, ECU's tough. And everything about it has just been Texas fight. And I know that seems super cliche, but like that was Tristan Stevens yesterday. That was what he did from the mound. Um, and like, that's why I freaking love sports. That's why you and I do this. Cause it's stories like that, that make you just like your heart goes out to that kid. Like I, I, that guy should never buy a beer in the state of Texas or at least the city <laughs> of Austin for sure. Like he absolutely deserves uh, to have a, a season, a, a closing button on his season like that. If you've never sees the mound again, that dude uh, is a longhorn legend. Like, there's no two ways around. Yeah, he should at least never have to buy or pay for another tattoo in the city of Austin. He should (laughs) fill out uh, his namesake, Tristan Slevens, uh, with as many free tats uh, as he would like. No, you know, you're right. Just watching him pitch his his butt off and then watching him in the dugout just, you know, pacing like a a father in the 60s uh, who doesn't get to come into the waiting room. Someone else has got to make that baby uh, take that baby home, right? It's uh, you could just see him. He wanted to still be out there, even though he'd already thrown a hundred pitches. I loved uh, his brother Preston Stevens, uh, P Stevens thirty five <laughs> on Twitter, basically just saying Tristan bleeds burn orange and pitches for UT. Uh, quote quoting someone who said tons of people owe Tristan Stevens an apology, right? Like um, it's true. A lot of us had a lot to say uh, about Stevens. I think we tried to be relatively objective and just say. He didn't have it. He was different than what he was. He he wasn't as good as last year. Wasn't as good maybe as the early season. His control left him a little bit. Um, you know, you saw in the beginning, like Gerald mentioned, you, you saw a bit of you know Silas Ardwin kind of trying to say get, get that slider down. You know, get that get that break. Let's see that that Tristan Stevens. You know, you go quick. You're accurate, and you're you know your off speed stuff snaps. And and there was a, a minute he didn't have it. I think the the biggest play of the game was when the the no no offense to Melendez and, and Staley, who are incredible, or, or in, Hodo or any of those guys, but um, the hottest batter in the country on any team, I think, is Bryson Worrell, who came into the, the final game uh, basically in six postseason games with 14 hits, six home runs, and 14 RBIs. And then in his seventh and ultimately final game, went 0 for 3. And it was on a 3-0 count early on. Stevens goes outside, and the guy, of course, has the green light. He's the hottest hitter in the country. Again, he's hitting just a shade under Melendez last year when he went seven straight games getting jacks. I mean, he was really legitimately on fire about the only guy who could stop him was the umpire and the regionals who pushed him to run around the bases. But it, when, when Stevens got him to just kind of go for that and, and dink a, a, a fly ball that, that was an easy out versus, you know, a walk and, and get something going, it, it, it felt like it snapped something in his next probably 70 pitches. He was just 
he was ready to go. He was ready to fight. Um, and and to, to his credit, right, someone else had to come in and do it. The bullpen in that one went three innings with giving up no hits. Two walks, uh, but they had two strikeouts. Um, and, and Southard came in, and he's been great lately. I mean, I think you saw some guys step up, and you probably won't see the depth of the bullpen again. You, you probably won't see where, like, ECU threw nine pitchers, eight of those to get through five innings. You probably won't see that from Texas. You probably won't see some of the names you saw early who struggled a bit. I think Pierce is, is shortening to who he he trusts. You know, in the in the Saturday game, you saw Oliveras come in. He gave up a three run homer. Two of those were for Lucas Gordon, who left two on base. But that was his second earned run of the season in twenty five innings pitch. I think that's a guy we're going to see. Uh, I think Southard. I think you know Duplantier did well in that Saturday game as well. Um, so it, it, we know who the two starters are going to be, and we expect more from them, and they expect to get that. Uh, ASAP, we know Stevens is going to have a role to play at whatever level we need him, and it's good that he's got that confidence right now. We know there's a couple arms out of the bullpen, but that'll still be the biggest question because I think Texas expects that any game from here on out, they're going to score five, six, plus seven, eight, whatever. That's that's the expectation. The bats are good. It's a big, giant stadium. Uh, it's, it's not necessarily a home run park, but you can get a lot of doubles. You can find a lot of gaps, especially because people will play, as you saw ECU do. They'll basically play along the fence and hope the stuff falls in front of them and not over their head, or they can try to rob a home run from Texas's big swingers. So you're going to see the bats work, I think, in, in, in Omaha. Just We will decide how far this 38th postseason or uh, College World Series run goes based on the arms and, and no one listening to this just had an aha moment because if you've listened to this podcast at any point we've been saying that for about four months straight um but we we will see and and i think again leaving on that note holding them to one run and that run coming after a four-hour delay when they were the fired up home team and, and just battling the rest of the game even though they got in some positions getting out of multiple jams bullpen coming in i just thought that's a really good way to leave it the fight you showed on saturday left no doubts on sunday now you're heading into Omaha with your heads held high, a fire in your belly, and you you have to feel good if you're this Texas team and Coach Pierce. Absolutely, and, and you mentioned the the change in ballpark as they head to Omaha. The art the artist formerly known as Rosenblatt. It's I think it's a ballpark that favors Texas. You see. The biggest struggles for Texas this year have been in hitters' ballparks. It's been in Lubbock. It's been in that Little League-walled Greenville stadium that they play. If your outfielders are a full head taller than your outfield wall, like, I get that that's a thing that they're doing. But, like, also, like, it's not coach pitch. Like, let's get some real walls out there. (laughs) Like, I don't want to say it favors Texas, but I think – Texas's big issue has been giving up the long ball. That's been Texas's issue is they'll give up dingers. And so in a ballpark that when the wind is coming in, you're hitting a lot of pop flies. I think that favors Texas. I think that gives Texas not necessarily an advantage, but I think it minimizes one of the biggest deficiencies that this this pitching staff, and especially the relief pitching, has is a penchant to hang one over the plate and let somebody put it up in the air. And Texas defensively is not going to drop too many of those. That was the exception rather than the rule in that Friday game, that one that bounced off the glove and went over the fence. Nine times out of ten, that's an out, and we're talking, we're singing a different tune. And so as we talk about Texas transitioning to Omaha, that to me feels good. And, and again, you and I are the, the eternal optimists, it seems like, even though Texas sports beats us down time and time again. <laughs> but I Notre Dame's a heck of a ball club, and they knocked off Tennessee, which again, Texas also did that, which is a weird thing to say at this point in the year. I like to think about like Texas dominated that, t- that Tennessee team seven to one. Uh, but 
Like that to me is a going to be a good matchup, and, and this bracket is going to be an absolute knife fight, and I'm excited for it. Yeah, so it'll it'll be interesting. You're right, Gerald. That I think what you saw is that Texas hitters can do it in any park. The dish is not a, a historically. There was some win uh, this year. There was a little bit, you know, interesting, maybe maybe atypical, but nonetheless, is not a a a hitters park. And you saw a lot there. You saw. Texas hitters do it just as much or more on the road. You saw them do it in major league parks multiple times, both what Gerald talked about in the early season uh, at Minute Maid, uh, the, the OU series, the Big 12 championship, all in MLB parks. You saw not just Melendez, but multiple hitters be able to have the power to, to hit in in pitchers parks. So I think there's not a lot of teams left. There's some really good teams, some really hot teams um, in, in the last eight. Of course, this is who gets here, but I don't know that there's any team left necessarily with Tennessee going out that, that has the, the overall top to bottom power that the Longhorns have, right? It, obviously, you know, Melendez, right? He hit his 32nd, uh, of the season in that Sunday game, breaking Chris Bryant's division one record in the BB core era, right. in, in 2011, if everyone's familiar, we've talked about it before, but in 2011, the bat ball coefficient of restitution, as we all know, BB core <laughs> to stand for was created basically, uh, to, uh, quote, initiate the certification process for baseball bats, construction materials, other than one piece solid wood. And okay. Anyways, they tried to make the, the, the playing field level. They've since, uh, adjusted the seams on the ball a little bit. Um, from those first few years where you'd get like 15 homers was an incredible year. But nonetheless, no one is hitting them like this. Melendez breaks that record with 32. It's the Big 12 record in this century. Um, no one in 2000s has it's gotten a, in. If he only hit home runs this year, he would be on the all-time home runs list at the University of Texas. Like, that's that's right. how good this season is. That's right. That's right. And so we know what Ivan has done. We'll, we'll continue to talk about it because you should. And it's amazing. And there's lots more to talk about than just his home runs. But... Murphy Staley has 19. He was one of the players of of the super, right? Like, not only did he do some clutch hitting with his bat when teams tried to walk Melendez, as, as we've seen more in the in the season when every at-bat matters, um, Staley's come up big time and time again, but he also did it with his glove. He had the sports center top play of the night with his, uh, you know, no regard for his body over the railing flip catch. Um, but the guy's at 19 home runs. If, if Melendez was not on this team, we would be spending... 10 minutes every podcast singing the praises of Murph dog, right? 19 home runs is an incredible <laughs> season. Like there's a point where we start talking about where he ends up in the single season record books. Faltini 15 this year. There has never been a season where two Longhorns hit 15 home runs. We've done it with three mess around and find out at the college world series. Silas Ardwan sitting there at 12, you know, we could have four uh, messenger at 11 Hodo at 10 Campbell at 10, which I, he's had 10 in like the last week and a half. Um, that feels like uh, that number should be higher, but he really has come on late in the season, but th there's just a lot of power top to bottom across this lineup. So I think, you know, Texas is going to have, have an advantage right there. They also, they've, they've hit 128 home runs this year, even though we talk about their pitchers giving up, Definitely walks, but also home runs. They've only given up 64, so about half uh, of what they've hit. Doubles, 156, given up 92. So Texas pitchers, I mean, they're, they're, they're not bad, right? Like, let's remember the the scope that we're, that we're talking a little bit here. Uh, at the end of the day, this is the team that finished the year after utterly terrible with the 17th out of 293 collegiate teams ranked, the 17th best ERA for the team, right? Last year they were number one, so it is a drop. But come on, we're talking about what most teams would kill for. They would be calling this a banner year with a top 20 ERA, right? So it's just a matter of don't put a walk on and then give up, a, you know, a one pitch home run that, that really hurts you. It's, it's stringing those hits, stretching out, 
playing the great defense that they're known for in that park where it's definitely easy to get in the gap and it it just feels like there's spaces all over in that outfield. I like having Eric Kennedy, who's, you know, lightning fast. Doug Hodo, who I think he's faster in the outfield than than he is, you know, on the base path even. He just feels like he, he glides out there to balls. Um, and, 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 you know, depending who we'll, we'll have in the other Campbell or Staley, but I, I feel pretty good with Texas's defense, obviously is the number one defending team in the country this year. They have the most home runs and power hitting of any team left in the college world series. And then again, you have pitchers who are, um, like Stevens and some of the bullpen coming on. I am not putting too much stock in Hanson having a bad outing. Um, he's still 11 and two, you know, one of the best records in baseball this year. Um, and, and Gordon has been great. Like the lefties from California are going to bounce back. Their arms will be fresh, I guess take the silver lining. Um, but the arms will be okay. I think the bats will be good. I think there's a good chance, but Gerald talked about it. Boy, this is a red hot, like, 20 out of their last 25 for all the teams on this side of the bracket, just really hot at the end of the season. Um, And a lot of teams that want to kill each other. And, you know, our our friend Mario texted us, it might be the single largest collection of sports arrogance ever assembled with Notre Dame, (laughs) Texas, OU, and Texas A&M. I really feel like they should switch Arkansas and Notre Dame just for the funsies and like just see who gets stabbed first. Like, can you imagine a regional that's Arkansas, Texas, OU, and AM? That'd be insane. But yeah, I, I mean, as long as Notre Dame doesn't wear their Little Mermaid drape uniforms again, I was I hated their Sunday unis. That's just a personal thing. Um, the sleeves are terrible. No, but like this is going to be a murderer's row. Like the and it feels I was talking to, to somebody yesterday and this feels like they almost balanced the like brackets for Tennessee being there because it feels <laughs> like the other side of the bracket is a little uh, they got, we got to put most of the heavy hitters on this uh, on this side with Tennessee to give them some sort of challenge and then we'll just get of the other side is okay uh, but Texas again faces off against Notre Dame on Friday I think they're the second game of the day so it'll be a little afternoon jaunt for you on Friday and then also be paying attention to work and that's okay <laughs> so Texas will take on Notre Dame and then OU and AM is the other half of that and again if you're cheering for a sinkhole or a meteor in that one, I totally get it because I will be doing the same. One final note on the College World Series as we get started, Gerald. Uh, there's only four teams with over 20 appearances. Texas, obviously, at 38. Um, there's none in the 30s besides Texas, and none of those teams made. So the gap is is growing only larger. Again, if you were to just take a, a, a coin flip, uh, the odds would 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 be you know lower uh, that that you would get heads or tails than Texas would be in the College World Series all time. We are greater than fifty percent. Just just incredible, incredible statistic. But uh, yeah, n- none of the Florida State, Miami, uh, USC, none of the teams that are that are close to Texas are uh, represented in this year's College World Series. So the gap grows between Texas and everybody else. So that's the part of the show where we talk about the only other sport going on on campus and we down the 40. So Texas earned 180 points in the Directors' Cup over the weekend, basically cementing its place as the repeat winner of the Directors' Cup for 
the top athletic department in the uh, nation. Now, we got to keep track of Stanford. If Stanford finishes third, because then we have to rename Podstradamus for uh, for our friend B. Wilkie, uh, Brett, on, uh, on Twitter and, and of last week's podcast fame. But the track and field team, okay. And of Director's Cup Dates fame. The, I wish I wish our Twitter account had that much organic growth in one week. If you're not following it, uh, A, what are you doing? Uh, first, go listen to last week's episode. Because if you listen to that, I'm positive you're following it. But at uh, the Director's Cup Dates uh, is the, the now single source that even Chris Del Conte retweets uh, is the official source of Director's Cup Updates. Here's the thing. If he gets to like 10,000 followers, we can still be the place that he launched his... his uh, his Twitter account from no Brett. We love you. Uh, yeah. So be Wilkie Brett. Our man has confirmed again last week. He said it, he predicted it, but now it's basically written in stone. that Texas will repeat as the director's cup champion. Thanks in part to the performances of the track and field team at nationals. Um, it's weird to be disappointed by a second place finish, but both teams finished second place. The men tied for the best finish in school history. That is uh, the fourth time in school history that they have finished as a second place team, 1987, 88, 97, and then 2022. Trip Perry was the lone national champion on the men's side. Shocking nobody. Well, shocking nobody that he was a national champion. It was a little shocking that he was the only national champion on the men's side. Um, the Nuge, Leo Nugenbauer, finished second in the decathlon, and then some various fourth place finishes down through there. The four by four team, the 400 with Jonathan Jones, uh, Micaiah Harris and the 200, the, uh, the four by one team and the long jump also put points on the board on the ladies side. Ladies had two national champions, the four by one team uh, and the 100 meter Julian Alfred uh, race was the big winner on ladies side. Kennedy Simon finished second in the 400. Same for the four by four team. They also earned points in the long jump, 400, 200 again, triple jump, several points in the 200. On the ladies' side, a pair of national champions, the 4 by one team uh, of Julia Alfred, Rasadat Adeleke, Kavana Davis, and Kennedy Flanell in the 4 by one And then Julian Alfred added another gold medal to her uh, weekend with a gold in the 100 meter Kennedy Simon finished second in the 400 and then the four by four team of Adeleke Kennedy Simon Julian Alfred and Stacey Ann Williams in the four by four also netted a second place finish that's now four top two finishes for Floreal one national championship three runner-up in just three seasons on the 40 acres yeah it's he's he's obviously uh, started a new era um, like you, you mentioned the men's team finishing is as good as they ever had um, you know, we saw the indoor success. The only reason this is not a success is because we thought there was a chance to get one, maybe both, uh, of these. You saw some some disappointment, like you know, your boy Jonathan Jones, uh, who again still scored five points. He had a a great day. He's a, a an All American, um, but ran his slowest four hundred in the finals. Right, that that's always frustrating when. You're a guy who's who's you know touching close to to all time records um, and and world records, and then you 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 get you know five points instead of ten and, and become a national champion. So there's things like that. Um, the four by four had been smashing records, and they took second. Um, Tyra Gittin's a little bit disappointed with her long jump, getting six points there. There was a couple things that maybe if they went different, especially on the women's side, um, they could have pipped Florida. But uh, you know, <laughs> no one's scoffing um, at adding trophies to the trophy case, right? Second place. Place, just silver instead of gold with that trophy and we have a gold one from indoor track earlier this year but coach flow really has something going here um 
you know, a lot of these players or athletes, I should say, are, are coming back next year. But some are going, right? There, There is a good chunk of this. Strip Papiri, a multiple-time All-American, will be heading out the door. Multiple of these uh, runners are, are, you know, finishing up careers here. Gittins came, I think, for one year as a grad uh, transfer. So, the, so you will see some new faces. But you saw with the transfer portal, Coach Flo has really uh, worked that and made the best of it. And I think, um, you know, it was pretty much a foregone conclusion that this Florida team was going to win women's indoor and outdoor. And the fact that Texas even made them shake in their boots two times and, and almost got them, um, I think, you know, shows that with some good transfers and with the coaching that Flo can do, um, they'll never be truly out of it. And Texas is now back to being one of the epicenters of the track world. The track world and the collegiate sports world overall suck it. Stanford. The only other down the fort we've got modern day tight end Spencer Shannon, three star tight end out of California, commits to the Longhorns on Monday. The first big commitment out of this summer uh, visit season that Texas is entering. And if you'd like a preview of that, check out last Thursday's show we had with Mike Roach breaking down all of the summer visits as well as some uh, awesome TV recommendations. Yeah, they just wanted to say Spencer Shannon, when you say big, literally big, six seven. Um, he's a three star tight end, but a lot of people have, have uh, said he might be the best blocking tight end in this class or on that short list. So it, it may be a very specific take uh, for Sark, who, who runs his two tight end sets. You know, he's growing into that big giant frame, and and you saw some uh, seven on seven where he's looking like a, a better pass catcher, but is an absolute blocker. So if you're going to have some of these really skilled tight ends, it's good to have the guy who can get in the trenches and, and mix it up there a bit too. It doesn't hurt that he has the full scouting report from Brady Sarkeesian. He is uh, uh, Spencer Shannon's teammate at modern day. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and and hopefully this just really opens up the uh, the California prep school pipeline fully to, to Sarkeesian because there's uh, – there's some studs who come out of that school, so uh, so let's let's keep them coming to Texas. But I like this, like this 2023 class getting some specific guys with specific skill sets uh, to to fill needs for the coming years. Likely a, a two tight end class, if you know what I'm saying. But Texas hopes to have a few more commitments come out of this, and we'll obviously uh, bring keep you up to speed with all that, and probably bring Mike Roach on sometime in August, maybe to talk about in season recruiting but now's the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics big bertha and we bang the drum brought to you by joe ruiz so kyle what are you banging the drum on this week you know i it crossed my mind and i and i started to put together a drum banging for uh the longhorn softball team just because we we recorded basically after that run and it was so incredible that it, it 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 needed another mention and and you know just wild that that's the first time in the the the, the college world series championship game and that this team the first ever unseeded team to get to the championship series like the, just some warriors who played their heart out and was one of the most fun just runs to watch obviously it ended to an all-time great team and and truly hats off to that OU team but what i decided i think is is even more important when we we take the moment to talk about the director's cup and, and that softball team and the women's track team and volleyball and the women's swimming and obviously the women's tennis and the rowing team and we talk about women's sports at texas and just how incredible and how important that is the director's cup and it seems like this year a lot of people are tuning in to some of those sports even on the men's side that aren't as marquee uh the men's golf team the men's you know doubles uh, individual champions basically you know but um it, 
probably the most prescient connection to the biggest story going on during this spring athletic season that, that Texas athletics had to what's going on in the rest of the world and not just the world of sports was a player on the national champion women's tennis team. And we've talked about it here on this podcast, but Sabina Zanilova had a national championship season at the same time she was wondering where her parents were. And she said, she, she, I mean, she, she had a very incredible juniors career. There was a chance she might have gone pro. Her parents talked her into going to school to get the education in America before deciding to turn pro. But, I mean, she's played Wimbledon, you know, as a junior. She's played the biggest tournaments, French Open, U.S. Open. She probably could have gone straight, as many Europeans do, into, into the professional ranks. Um, but she came to Texas and won a national championship this year. And... Always had the plan, she said this week, she told uh, the USTA podcast that she, she always had a plan to, after this season, return to her native land of Kiev um, and play some ITF pro tournaments uh, in, in Eastern Europe, basically after her first freshman year of college, first year away from home and going home. Um, obviously, everything changed in, in the middle of February, and those plans were shaken up. She was also competing. And just the words she had to say, and I recommend listening to it if you, if you get the chance, about her teammates and the family atmosphere that, that was created there, about uh, the way Coach Joffe just kind of tried to keep her mind off of that as best as you can. There's no real precedent for a coach to, to do that, to say your, your homeland is being invaded and we hope your family is safe, but by God, go get this doubles point. You know, it, it's... It's a reminder that sports can be an escape, but they're also insignificant in the grand scheme. Um, but I thought it was—I thought it was relatively incredible the way she composed herself all year. She was unbelievable uh, this season; um, just a joy to watch. She went twenty-three and one in singles this season. She was a key part of that national title defense as a freshman. Um, you know, and Coach Joffe is is South African originally, but spent some time in, in California. And so he set her up since she couldn't go play in Ukraine to go to play Pro-Am this, this season, like off season, basically in the, in the Southern California region and is, has connected her where she has some, some ties and won't feel completely uh, alone. But, you know, it, it just, it just struck me. She talked about her, her parents and her, her dad, her mom and her grandparents were able to escape because they have dual citizenship and go to Azerbaijan. But, the way she talks about what's going on and the people who she knows who didn't have a way out or didn't have a chance out and, and then puts it back into the perspective of, Oh yeah, I also played tennis real, real well. Um, I don't know. To me, it was just a humbling resetting reminder that, yeah, we had the greatest, you know, director's cup. We did it twice in a row. We win all the sports. We won all these national championships. We got to the finals. It's, it's incredible. I love it. I, I I love to bang that drum literally and on this podcast. It's 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 amazing, but it is a reminder that uh, the world of sports is incredibly important up to a point, and then it's it's an anecdote, right? That there are things that are bigger that are huge, and through Sabina and all the others like her who are fighting and representing their country, and uh, the 
you, Ukraine was walked, knocked out of the World Cup. Some of their players spoke so eloquently about they don't care about playing in the World Cup tournament. They cared about keeping Ukraine at the front of the world's mind to save lives, you know. Uh, just wanted to do my little part as a reminder that, that it's, it's still going on. It, it's not over. There's still people's lives who are irreparably shifted, damaged, uh, and changed. And keep those people in your thoughts. Uh, keep Sabina. Keep all Ukrainian athletes and, and, and certainly non-athletes, uh, Ukrainians of the world, in your thoughts. And uh, I just love sports for stories, and I don't think it gets any better than that. That's why you and I highlight these other things going on because it's sports is so much more than just what happens on the court or on the field or, or in the frame of competition. These are real people with real lives and real things happening to them. And I think it's really important. Um, it's part of the reason why you and I have built our brand and our podcast the way that we have. And I'm banging the drum on something uh, similar to you. So we talked about earlier that Texas has claimed its second consecutive director's cup um, after unseating Stanford. Thanks in large part to uh, the ladies on campus. And um, I, I don't want anybody to hear this as a shot. I love and respect Rod Babers. Rod Babers um, is somebody that like I had a couple of conversations with when I was covering the team in Austin. Like he's an incredible person, incredible guy and a great representative of the, of the university, but it's more about the, the attitude that is pervasive among Texas fans. And he tweeted out on Monday for me, a football guy bragging about Texas winning their second consecutive director's cup after going five and seven in football feels like boasting about a relationship. That's amazing in every way, except for the sex, which there's a whole nother conversation to be had about that portion of the tweet. But the Minimization of the impact of the other athletes on campus is extremely frustrating for me. You and I both played football, right? So we know, like, we know what goes into preparing for football. We know the long week, midweek practices. We know two days. We know what that is. But to minimize the efforts and the preparation and the hell that these other athletes put themselves through, because the football team in five and seven is what five and seven sucks. Period, end of sentence. It sucks. The baseball players, the basketball players, the rowing team, that was perhaps the pinnacle of excellence athletically on the university campus. Like That, to me, is just as impactful because they work their tails off to represent the university with dignity and honor and class, and so many of them are doing it at a much higher level than the football team is. And honestly, the football team could probably take some lessons from the, from the rowing team and the level of excellence and the level of attention to detail that those ladies have. They could take a lesson from the tennis team not blowing a lead to OU in a, cha- in a pivotal game. They could take a lesson from an overachieving, scrappy women's basketball team that made a run that they shouldn't have two damn years in a row. Like Minimizing the, the contributions of these other athletes because the football team had a bad year and has had a bad decade sucks and you shouldn't do it. Like these athletes work their tails off to represent the university and to wear that longhorn on their chest or on their visor or on their whatever, their uniform, wherever they wear it. And they deserve all the the honor and respect we can give them. That's why we dedicate a third of our podcast, 20 of our 60 minutes every week is dedicated to those sports because we respect the contributions and the representation that they do. We love the University of Texas. They love the University of Texas and they're representing it in an incredible way and we honor them in such a massive massive way absolutely i didn't know we were going to be so similar in simpatico but i love it i think those two dovetail very well the women's uh athletes on campus are absolutely leading the way in demonstrating that what starts here changes the world and uh yeah i mean it it, it, it 
I love football. I love college football. It's my favorite thing, I think, in the entire world. But, man, I, I would not trade a director's cup for, for, you know, 10 wins and everything else is terrible. Like, I just I just wouldn't, right? I, that's that's – I love that the standard of excellence that Chris Del Conte has is the same that, that we feel as fans, that every program on, on the campus should be great. And that means truly every program. And so football needs to catch up. They need to uh, hold their end of the bargain. And uh, I, I think – that there's there's enough investment and expectation that that they are going to let coach Sark give his best value and effort for a couple years to get that program to the same level we're talking about where teams are in the postseason are making runs are winning championships are if they fall if their season ends it's because the team across from them beat them in the national championship that happened six times this year in addition (laughs) to the four championships you know what I mean that that level is the standard. That's what we expect. I'm not saying Sark's going to do it this year, maybe not next year, but give him some time and let him try it. But let's celebrate the others on the way and and not uh, let's not be what some of our our rival schools uh, might be and and in uh, you know trade everything, our soul included, for a bit of football success. And that's all we've got for you today kyle where can the good folks find you on the internet you can find me on twitter at kyle carpenter you can also follow the texas pregamer at texas pregamer you can follow me on twitter i am at gh goodrich follow the show on twitter at longhorn pod facebook and instagram the longhorn republic or shoot us an email longhorn republic pod at gmail.com thank you so much for tuning in again this week we'll be back on thursday with our alabama preview you don't want to miss it and until then hook them hook them Keep swinging Melendez, Mr. Spikes. <laughs> <laughs>